Thank you. Emily, take your Bibles, go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. It's good to be in God's house, and I appreciate everybody that made it out today, despite the bad weather. Be sure to look around and see who's missing. A few people are missing uh, because they're traveling or sick, uh, different reasons, so be sure to take a look around and, and pray for them. Last week in 1 John chapter 3, we began looking at the fact that those that have turned to Christ and those that have trusted in Him are called children of God by God Himself. And this is awesome because we saw that the entire Trinity acknowledges us as such. And, and we saw that God doesn't just save us from hell, right? He doesn't just give us eternity in heaven, which by the way, that's already way more than what we deserve. Listen, he calls you his child. If you're saved, he calls you a child of God. And this is just a glorious truth. But as we, we bear this great title, we saw that we gain great rewards, we gain great responsibilities, and we looked at how we are to be different from the world. We looked at how one day we're going to be like Christ. Totally like Christ, we're going to be perfect. And, and we saw how one day we're going to see Christ and that right now we are to live pure. And in 1 John chapter 3, where we're going to look at today, the theme of purity and the subject of sin is an ongoing theme. And, and of course, we're going to look at that today. So look at uh, 1 John chapter 3. Look at verse 4. The Bible says, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth the, also the law, for sin is a transgression of the law. And ye know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil." Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. I thank you for uh, all the people that were able to make it out today. I pray that you'll be with those that were not able to come for various reasons, uh, with sickness and traveling, Lord. I pray that you'll just uh, bless them, Lord, and I just pray that you'll help us to get something from your word. And Lord, we know that your word is powerful. And Lord, it can just do so much. I pray that you just uh, work in our hearts today, challenge us and change us, and help me to say exactly what you want me to say. Help me, Lord, just to preach the word. And I pray that you'll work in our hearts today and help us as a church to just be obedient to your word. In your holy name, amen. There's a lot to get to in this passage, but by way of introduction, as I've stated in many times in the past, the main reason that John was writing this book was because of the fact that people were infiltrating the church, they were spreading false doctrine, and uh, these people, these false teachers, they advocated new ideas that were not at all scriptural, and uh, these, these new ideas became known as Gnosticism, which is, it simply means knowledge, okay? So we know in times past that these Gnostic teachers, they claim to have a higher knowledge. One that 
Again, it didn't have anything to do with scripture. It didn't have anything to do with what Jesus Christ said or what God said. Uh, they just claimed to have a higher knowledge and, and said, oh, well, God told me this. So they said that's, it's true because God told me it. It's a, it's a revelation that, they, that God gave me. I want you to understand today, church, listen, that what we need to know is in the book. It's in the Word of God, okay? God has given us everything that we need to know. Uh, there's no higher elevated knowledge. We do know that the, the Holy Spirit will teach us, right? But He's going to teach us what's in the Word of God. So we don't need to worry about having, uh, we don't need to worry about mysticism or uh, having some kind of visions and having some elevated knowledge. What God wants us to know is in the Bible. And thank God for that. Uh, but we know that because of this, because there were people in here that were claiming to have a higher knowledge, what did John say in 1 John 2.20? He said, but ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. Again, the Holy Spirit, that's, it, is, it is the unction, and it'll teach us. But there's no higher knowledge. What God wants us to know is right here. So we know that in times past, not only did they claim uh, to have this higher knowledge, but they also claimed that Jesus Christ was not flesh, right? They, they said that he wasn't flesh, he was a phantom, and uh, for this cause, this is why John continuously harps on the fact that Jesus Christ was flesh. And by the way, if he was not flesh, then we don't have salvation. It's essential to our salvation. And now, what we read in 1 John 3 it gives us more insight into the deception that was being spread in this church by this, these Gnostic teachers. Look at verse 7 again. It says in verse 7, Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. So now we see that these Gnostic false teachers were also claiming that sin that was committed in the body had no effect on one spirituality and it, it did not matter what you did you could go out and you could sin and do whatever you please and it would not affect you whatsoever God did not care it did not matter you could just disregard God's law and it's fine it's okay it doesn't matter indulgence in immorality was permissible according to these false teachers so because of this John is once again fighting against false doctrine. And in this passage that we read, it all connects together. And John, what he's doing is he's emphasizing the need for obedience to God's commandments. And I believe much of what we see today in regards to teaching on sin in the church on a national scale is very closely related to what we see here that John is condemning in 1 John. You know, our nation is full of so-called churches today that will stand up and they will either teach that sin does not matter or they just will not preach against sin at all. And that's a problem. They, they, they will even use their, liber their liberty that they have in Christ simply as a license to do whatever they please and they don't teach the seriousness of sin and how it affects somebody's spirituality and in turn they are damaging the spirituality of those that are in that church. Listen, they do this so often in the name of love. But you know what? Real love is going to point out sin. Real love is going to warn against that which will uh, harm you. And I'll tell you what, sin does harm. Sin is dangerous. Sin is terrible. And if we're going to act like sin doesn't matter, and we're going to pretend that God doesn't care about how we live, you know what we're going to have to do? We'll have to throw out a lot of the Bible. 
Because it's very clear that God does care about how we live. God does care about our testimony out in the world. God does want us to live in obedience to his commandments, and we'll see that today. So we'll jump into our first point here. We see the seriousness of sinful living. Look at verse 4. It says in verse 4, Whosoever committeth sin transgresseth also the law. For sin is a transgression of the law. Now before we can understand the seriousness of sin, again, I've addressed this a few times, but we need to understand what sin actually is. Simply put, you want to know what sin is? It's anything that goes against the word of God. Sin is uh, fundamentally that which is contrary to the will of God. And by the way, I don't make the rules. I'm not the the standard bearer of morality. (laughs) And neither are you. Why would, why, we can't be because the way that we see things, we're always changing, right? We can always move the line. But listen, God's word never changes. The, lines, the line never moves because God doesn't change. What God calls sin 2,000 years ago, right? It is still sin today. And it's never going to change. But if you want a good summary of what sin is, we, we talked about this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17 to 21. You can look at that, or you can simply look at God's moral law, which is the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Thou shalt make no graven images or idols. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day. Honor thy father and mother. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor. Thou shalt not covet. That's God's moral law. That's the Ten Commandments. And without a doubt, though, here's the thing. We cannot keep all of those commandments, can we? We are incapable of that. And because of the fact that we're sinful, in God's moral law and just the law in general, it simply points to our need for Christ. Galatians 3.24, it tells us that the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. What the Ten Commandments does, church, it just shows us how desperately we need Christ. Because our righteousness is as filthy rags. But look, if you're here and you are a child of God today, you're saved, you are still going to have times where you sin and you break God's law, right? We do that. We still sin. We still have that sin nature that will arise. And I've mentioned many times how Paul says, In Romans chapter 7, verse 18, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. We still have a sinful nature. I like the story about the little girl uh, that was driving with her father one day, and she was in the back seat. And she just randomly decided to take her seatbelt off, and she stood up in the back seat. And the father said to her, his little girl, he said, you better sit down right now and buckle up, or else you're going to get punished. So the little girl, she begrudgingly, she sat back down. And she put her seatbelt back on, but she wasn't happy about it. A few minutes later, as they were driving down the road, she looked at her father and she said, Dad, I'm still standing up inside. She, had, she w- was rebellious, and, and she, in her heart, she was still rebelling against her father. Why? Because she had a desire to rebel. And how often are we like that? We have a desire to go against God's law, and at times we imagine it, we think about it, and sometimes we do it. That will still happen because we do have the flesh. So when you look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 4, it simply seems to say that anybody that commits sin is transgressing the law. And while that is true in a general sense, this is not what it's saying, church. This word here in verse 4, that word committeth, it is an active verb that is speaking of somebody that is living in continual 
and habitual sin. It is speaking of one that is living in rebellion against God's law. John is saying here that those that live continually in sin are living lawlessly, without care and without concern for God's law. He's not just talking about committing a singular sin, but rather living a lifestyle of sin. He's speaking of living a life with a disregard for God's law. And this is key to the entire message, so please hear this. Again, obviously, we are going to have times where we sin. But if we are a child of God, then habitually living in sin will not sit right with us. Because if we do that, we are living with a disregard for God's law. And if we know anything about God, we know that He hates sin. Again, I've said this many times, but the Old and the New Testament is full of examples of God punishing sin. Why did He do that? Because He hates it. So to live in a continuous state of sin is very serious because you are telling God what you say and what you think is of no concern to me. Lawlessness. And I think of, when I think of lawlessness, I think of people, the people in Judges, right? Remember when it said they did that, which was right in their own eyes? I think of Nineveh. I mean, they were lawless. They just, they didn't care what God think. I, I, I think of Sodom and Gomorrah with all the, the evil that they did. I think of the city of Corinth with their uh, paganistic rituals and their idolatry. They're just lawless. They didn't care about what God thought. It didn't matter what God said. But listen, what God says should matter to you, and if you are a child of God, it will matter to you. It will. Because God hates sin, we will hate our sin. Because we know that our sin grieves God, it will grieve us when we sin. We're not going to love our sin like we used to love our sin anymore. And by the way, we need to know that our sin is costly, isn't it? Our sin brought a separation from God. It has caused pain and suffering. It has caused problems. It's a very serious thing. So those that are living a life of sin, they are no doubt putting themselves in harm's way. It does matter, church. Sin matters. These Gnostic teachers were wrong. But not only that, our sin also sent Jesus Christ to the cross. And our next point here tells us that in our next verse. Secondly, let's look at the settlement of sin. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 5. The Bible says in verse 5, And ye know that he, speaking of Christ, was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Jesus Christ, he was manifested, which means that he was shown, he was revealed, he was made real. Again, he was flesh. Here's John saying this again. He was made flesh to take away our sin. Jesus Christ, He bore the penalty for our sin when He died on the cross and He was the perfect and sinless sacrifice for our sin. Again, our sin was costly. It cost Christ His life. And He did it to bring us to God. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3, look at verse 18. In the context of this, is talking about suffering, but look at chapter 3, verse 18. Peter tells us, For Christ also hath once suffered for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, 
being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Jesus Christ, he was the just. He was perfect, he was pure, and he died in our place so that we could be reconciled unto a perfect God. Now, while we are sinful, while we are wicked, while we cannot even keep the Ten Commandments, he was perfect, and he came and he died in our place and took the penalty so that we could be saved. Man, such amazing grace, such, such a wonderful mercy. So, Jesus Christ, he died so that your sin could be settled. He died so that your sin could be forgiven, and it was all placed on him. And in order to have your sins forgiven, I say this every week, but you need to know, if you want your sins to be forgiven, you must trust in Christ alone to be your Savior. And I need to ask you this, have you done that? Have you trusted Christ alone and nothing else to save you? Have you realized that there's no good work, there's no deed, there's no act that will give you eternal life, it's only by trusting in Jesus Christ. Do you believe, as 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4 tells us, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures? If you do, then you need to repent and believe the Gospel. You need to turn to Christ and call upon the name of the Lord, and thou shalt be saved. If you've never done that, man, I look, you need to do that today. Call on Christ today and ask Him to forgive you of your sins because He paid the penalty for your sin. Our sin, it sent Him to the cross, but it is settled so that we can have a relationship with God. We just need to repent and believe the gospel. Now, if you are saved today, which I would think that the majority of people are, but if you are saved today and you've done that, you can rejoice in the fact that your sins are gone. And, and what a wonderful thought. Every single sin, past, present, and future, is gone. Thank God for that. But despite this, John tells us, the way we live matters. To live in a continual state of sin, it is very serious. Again, because it does show a disregard for God's law. But additionally, when we live our lives to please ourselves... And we live with a disregard for God's law. You know what we're also doing? We are denying the power of the cross. Let's go to 1 Peter again. Look over probably in the same area here. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. What is that telling us here? It's telling us that God desires that we live as Christ lived. We live like Christ. Look at verse 23. Who then, or who when? He was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bear our sin in his own body on that tree that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned to the shepherd and bishop of your soul. What does this tell us here? The work and the power of the cross is denied when a professed Christian practices deliberate sin. You are telling, you're basically telling us that the cross of Christ and the death of Christ, it's powerless. 
I want you to know salvation is not powerless. Jesus Christ is not powerless. To live in the sin is to simply stay in bondage from what you were saved from. We were saved from sin. And, and this brings us to our third point. Go back to 1 John chapter 3. We'll see the sinfulness of the saints. 1 John chapter 3. Look at verse 6. Verse 6. It says, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not. Whosoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. Now, this passage can be a bit confusing for people if they don't understand the context. Again, remember, John is speaking to people that are being told it doesn't matter what you do. You can just live in sin. It's no big deal. God doesn't care. So John tells us in verse 6 that those that abideth in him sinneth not. In other words, those that are uh, presently continuing in him and walking with him will not live in rebellion. They will not live in a continual state of habitual sin. And it again shows us the fact that the way we live does matter as John is placing a great importance on our sin and the cross of Christ. And he says, anybody that is abiding in him will not live a life of continual sin. And he says that those that do such a thing do not even know Christ. And in verse 7, look again. Little children, let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, even as he is righteous. So look, don't be deceived. Now let me ask you this. Does that verse sound familiar? This verse actually cross-references with one we've seen recently. Look at uh, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 29. 1 John 2.29, it says, If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of him. So those that are born again will desire to live righteously as Christ is righteous. But why? Because we're born again. If you're saved, you are given a new nature. And I want you to hear this this morning. Our new nature desires to please God. Our new nature hates sin because God hates sin. We are born of God. So again, we are going to have the nature of God. And our new nature no longer allows us to be happy in our sin. And the fact is, the nature of those that are lost is totally opposite from the nature of a believer, isn't it? Now again, while we will, we will sin... Our desire is going to be to be righteous as Christ is righteous. Our nature is going to be one that desires to please God and to live for Him. I want you to ask yourself this question this morning. Are you a Christian? Have you been born of God? Have you been born again? How do you know if you are or not? Your salvation is revealed by your new nature. This is why the false teaching that sin doesn't matter, was and is so dangerous. Because if these people did not have a desire to please God and they did not have a desire to live righteously as Christ was righteous, then their salvation would come into question because if they don't have that new desire, then do they have that new nature? I've said this before too. 1 John is a book of tests, right? It's a book of tests. If you don't have this new nature, you don't have this new desire, you fail the test. You're not a child of God. And this point is well illustrated by using the prodigal son and a pig for example, an example here, okay? So think for a moment about a pig and the prodigal son. 
You know, a pig would be very uncomfortable in a different environment than what nature calls for, wouldn't it? You just think about it, okay? By nature, a pig loves to be in the mud, right? You ever see a pig rolling around in the mud? Anybody a farmer here? Okay, okay, there you go. You see a pig, they love to roll in the mud, right? They, they uh, by nature, they are just stinky, okay? And they just enjoy being in the stink. They enjoy being in the mud. They enjoy getting the slop. And if you were to take a pig out of that mud hole that they love, and you were to spray it off and make it all clean and uh, make it smell nice and then put it in your living room, <laughs> it would be uncomfortable, wouldn't it? <laughs> It's not in its nature to be in your living room. They would be uncomfortable. They would probably try to get out. And they would want to get back into that mud hole. Why? Because it's a pig. Its nature is to love the mud hole. Its nature is to love being in its natural environment. But now, take the prodigal son of Luke chapter 15. Remember, He ran away from his father. He took his money. He wasted it on riotous living. He was living in sin. Where did he end up? In the pig pen. He ended up in the mud hole. He ended up eating with the swine. He was in the mud. He was with the pigs. He was in the stink. And guess what? He was miserable. He did not like it. And the Bible tells us that when he came to himself, he realized, what am I doing? This is not right. He didn't like it and he was miserable. Why? Because he did not belong there and he knew it. The prodigal son, he could not stay in the pig pen with the pigs in that mud hole and be happy like a pig could because he wasn't a pig. He didn't belong there. Where did he belong? In his father's house. He was miserable because it was not in his nature to be in that pig pen. Does that make sense? He didn't belong there. It wasn't in his nature. And listen, the gospel, it changes us. It transforms us. And if we're saved, again, we can certainly wind up living in sin. We can certainly end up in the pig pen. But like the prodigal son, if we're born again, if we're born of God, we are going to be miserable in it because we know we belong to God and it is in our nature to please Him. Again, it is possible to live in sin as a believer. But after a time of doing such a thing, you will come to yourself. You will realize how worthless it is and you will long to get out. Children of God will not be happy living in their sin because they no longer have that nature that loves their sin and is happy in it. They will have the nature of God. You just think of people in the Bible that sinned. David, we talk about him all the time. What did he do? He repented. Peter, when he denied Christ, what did he do? He went out and wept bitterly, right? And he didn't continue doing the same thing over and over again. All all these people in the Bible, you look at uh, when they fell into sin, it was an incident in their life. It was not a normal habit. It was not something that they continued to do. uh, A true believer cannot say satisfied going against their new nature and living in sin. So listen, church, if you are one that is living in sin right now and you're happy in it, I would beg you 
to examine yourself and see if you are really in the faith. Because those that are saved, they have a new nature, and they have new desires, and again, our salvation is not powerless. Now, you may be here today, and you are in that pig, hen, pig pen, you're, you're in that mud hole of sin, and you are miserable. Maybe you just have a struggle with sin, right? We all struggle with sin at times. We all are like that little girl that I mentioned with that sinful nature that just desires to rebel. Each of us have sin and uh, times where we struggle. And John has said before in 1 John 1, he says, if we say we have no sin and we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So yes, we have sin. Yes, we will desire to sin. Yes, that old nature will arise. But because of our new nature, we have the power to overcome sin. Let's go back to 1 John chapter, four, uh, chapter 3. Lastly, we see that the Savior has power over sin. And thank God He does. He has power over sin. Look at verse 8. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. From verse 8, we understand if we follow God, we will desire to obey God. If we belong to Satan, we will do the works of Satan, again, with no regard for God's law. And verse 8 here cross-references with John 8:44, when Jesus Christ, he rebuked the religious leaders, and he said, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. Ye, uh, he was a murderer from the beginning. So he's telling them, look, Satan is your father. So guess what? You're just going to do what he does. You're going to fulfill the lust thereof. And the fact is, if we belong to God, we have the nature of God, and we're going to desire to please him. But if we belong to Satan, we will do the works of Satan, and we're going to love doing it. It's not going to bother us. But the thing is, is we cannot have it both ways. You either have the nature of God, or you have the nature of Satan. One or the other. But we also see in this verse, in verse 8, that while we will struggle with sin, those that are born of God will not only have that desire to please God, but thank the Lord we are given power to overcome sin. We still have this sin nature, but Christ can give us victory. Notice at the end of verse 8 here, look at it there. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. That word destroy there, that means to rob of power. This is, another, this is just key to this entire message. Okay, church, listen. The purpose of Jesus Christ being manifest, the purpose of Him dying and taking away our sin, and the purpose of Him coming to earth was so that He could destroy the works of the devil. I'll tell you this, when He died on the cross, He destroyed the works of the devil. When one day... As Revelation 20 verse 10 tells us, when he casts uh, Satan into the lake of the fire, the work of the devil is going to be completely destroyed. But we need to understand this morning that even today, Jesus Christ can destroy the works of the devil in our lives. He gives us that power. Colossians chapter 1 verse 13 says that God hath delivered us from the power of darkness. And that word delivered there, it means rescue. Look, you have been rescued from the power of darkness. Christ helps us to live righteously as He is righteous because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. I can do as Paul said and die to my flesh daily. 
I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm a servant of Christ because of my new nature. Let's go to Romans chapter 6. We're going to look at a few places as we get ready to wrap this up, so bear with me. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. A lot of Christians, they'll live in sin and they'll just give up. But Christ gives us power. Romans chapter 6, look at verse 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like, as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So look, because Jesus Christ died and rose again, we can walk in newness of life. Our old nature is crucified with him, and the power of sin is destroyed, and therefore we no longer have to serve sin, but instead we have the power to serve Christ. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, as we read, it tells us that God's children have his seed, and it remains in us. It doesn't go away. And this is God's life. This is his power. Because we have his life and his spirit, we can overcome sin. Jesus Christ can take away the practice of sin in the lives of believers. He can deliver us from the power of Satan, even now. And again, if we're truly children of God, it will be our desire. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I want you to know this morning that as 1 John, he mentioned in 1 John 3, 5 about how Christ died to take away our sins. What Christ did on that cross, it is powerful. What we have in Jesus Christ, it is powerful. And the way that we live matters so much that Paul, in the place that we're about to read right now, tells us that those that profess Christ and live in continual sin, he calls them enemies of the cross. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 17. It says, Brethren, be followers of me, and mark them which walk, so as ye have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You talk about strong words. Paul said here, follow me as I follow Christ. And he said that also in Corinthians. But he tells these believers to follow his example as he strived to live for God. Was Paul perfect? Of course not. But he did strive to live a godly life. He strived to live for Christ. And he says here uh, that with great sadness that there are many who walk in a manner that is contrary to what he teaches. And what does he teach? He teaches holiness. He, treat, uh, he teaches righteous living. And listen, we can say today with sadness that there are many out there, many people that profess to know Christ, that live in a way that is contrary to what the Bible says. And he regards these people as enemies of the cross. And these enemies of the cross were people that celebrated their liberty in Christ to the indulgence of their flesh, just like these Gnostic teachers in 1 John. These people were enemies of biblical truth, 
of the atonement that Jesus Christ made on the cross and they were an enemy of the truth that Christ's cross has ongoing power and ongoing effect in our life. These people that Paul speaks of, they were truly enemies of the cross of Christ because they did not want to follow Jesus Christ by taking up his cross of self-denial that Jesus Christ talks about in Matthew 16. They wanted to live their own life in their own way, and they were making the cross and power of Christ in believers to be powerless. And I ask you this, church, what good is salvation if it is powerless? It's of no use. I don't want to be an enemy of the cross. I want to be an advocate of the cross. Man, are you an advocate of the cross? Does your life show the work that Christ has done in you? If we live our lives like what we do don't matter, then we truly are enemies of the cross. And if we're going to be an advocate of the cross, we have to depend on Him and only Him for deliverance. If your life does not reflect the new creature that you are in Christ, if you're living uh, amongst the pigs, if you will, and you're miserable as a result or struggling with some type of sin and you're having a hard time getting back, you need to know that deliverance only comes from God. And you need to rely on Him for it and get back on track. I like the story about a conversation between a man and his grandson. This man told his grandson, he said, inside of me are two dogs. One is evil and the other is good. They fight all the time. And the grandson said to his grandfather, well, tell me which one wins. And the grandfather simply said, whichever one I feed the most. And listen, church, if you want to overcome sin, and live out the new nature that you have in God, you need to depend on Him for deliverance, and you do that by feeding your new nature, and doing, as verse 6 tells us, and abide in Him. D.L. Moody rightfully said that the Bible will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from the Bible. How often do we get off track and we just fall into sin? Because instead of feeding my new nature the Word of God, I simply just neglect the Word of God and then I just go out and do an activity that feeds my flesh. How often when temptation comes, do I play around with it instead of fleeing from it like Joseph did? Listen, we need to abide in Him and feed our new nature. Let's go to one more place, Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 5. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Mortify, and by the way, that means put to death. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil conspicuousness, and uh, covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walked some time, when ye lived uh, in them. But now... Ye also put off all these uh, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Again, I go back to that word in verse 5, mortify. Do you mortify? Do you put to death uh, your sin? Puritan John Owens once said this, Do you mortify your sin? He asked, Do you make it your daily work? He said, Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Man, we need to mortify our sin. We need to put on the new man as Colossians chapter 3 tells us. And look, this 
Christ can just uh, have, give us power over the temptation of sin if we will just rely on Him. If we will just rely on Scripture. You know, Jesus Christ Himself, He fought against temptation. How? With the Word of God. He fought against temptation with Scripture. And through Christ, we can mortify our sin. And the power of Christ over our practice of sin is wonderful. But daily, we must allow Him to do this work. Every single day, we must progressively be coming like Christ. Every single day, we have to mortify and put to death the deeds of the flesh. And again, this book is a book of tests. And the test of a true believer is this. Children of God will not be content living in sin. So if you're living in sin, you're going to be miserable as a result. If you are a child of God, and I encourage you, if that's you, get back to God. Get it right. Stop messing around. Stop wasting time and restore your fellowship with God again. 1 John 1, nine tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And again, I ask you this as we get ready to close. Are you a Christian? Do you have this new nature? If you don't, then repent today. If you profess to be saved and you're living in rebellion against God, and again, you're content in it, again, I ask you as we close, examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. And if you find that you're not truly in the faith, what better thing to do than to repent today and what better thing to do than to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ today? Eternity is a long time to be wrong. So if you're not saved Give your life to Him today. Repent and believe the gospel. Let's stand. Heads bowed, eyes closed.